0: Well, hey, good morning, Harvest, we doing all right? Good, good. Hey, thank you for coming to church this morning. If you're new or visiting, thank you for being here. My name is Calvin. I'm one of the pastors here. Do me a favor, open your Bibles up to Psalm 1. Psalms is in the uh, middle of your Bible. It is um, praises and songs that were written to God, and I'm so excited to uh, jump into Psalm 1 with you. And uh, while you're turning there, uh, I want to tell you about um, something fun that I got to do last weekend. I had the uh, privilege to go up to Petoskey, with just my wife Mary and my middle son Bo who's nine. It's uh, his first year of travel soccer and they had their year-end Petoskey Invitational. So my folks took the other three and me, Mary, and uh, my son, we got to go up to Petoskey and spend the weekend up there. And um, here was one of my big takeaways of, of the weekend of being up in Petoskey. Um, the guy, whoever it was, I'm not sure who it is, but whoever invented the technology that allows you to just type in directions on your phone and then there's a voice that tells you every road to take and every turn to make and exactly where to go, that guy deserves the Nobel Peace Prize, doesn't he? (laughs) Like, there's, like, been nothing better in my lifetime invented than, than the map GPS on your phone. Like, I don't know how much that guy made by inventing that technology, but it's nowhere near enough. Like, it was amazing. We needed to go to the field from the hotel. You just type in the address of the field, it takes you right there. You got to go to dinner after the game. You type in just the name of the restaurant, takes you right there. It takes you right back to the hotel um, on Saturday afternoon between games, um, The way, where our hotel was. It was kind of up on a hill, and, and right across the street was a Walmart, and, and next to the Walmart, you could see a, a Starbucks. And uh, we were in between games killing time, and we were tired. And I'm like, Mary, do you want me to make a Starbucks run? She's like, Yeah, that would be uh, amazing. I'm like, Awesome, I'm gonna put the directions into my phone. And she's like, Cal, and she just points. She's like, you can see the sign that says Starbucks like right there. It's literally right there. And I was like, I know. It just feels like a warm blanket to know that I'm being told exactly where to go. Like I can't get enough of it. It's the absolute best. And um, the reason I tell you that story is because what we're going to do for the next three weeks, we're in a series that's starting today called Field Notes. And, and Field Notes, they're kind of like that same GPS technology. You see, what Field Notes are is when scientists, when they're out in the field, and they're studying a plant or or a new species or an animal, the field notes are the notes that they would take that would be like, this is what this thing looks like, this is where it lives, this is this habitat. It it, it tells you exactly where it is, exactly where to find it, and exactly what it looks like. It's just clear instructions on what something is. And, And through the Psalms in the next three weeks, we're going to see that God gives us the field notes the exact GPS directions to three incredible things. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about the field notes to blessing. Next week, we're going to talk about being satisfied, living a life that has satisfaction in it. And, And then the third is the idea of integrity. And here's why I'm excited about this message, because these three things, I think if I were to ask any of you, do you want to have a life that's full of blessing, satisfaction, and integrity, You'd be like, yeah, I want those things. Those things are great things, but they seem elusive and vague, right? Like, how do you describe blessing? Well, I'm not really sure what that looks like. You know it when you see it, but I'm not exactly sure how to get it. It seems very intangible. Well, church, look at me. Let, let me be honest with you. These things aren't elusive, They're not hidden from you. You can have them today, right now in your life in real practical ways and God's gonna show us exactly how to get there. And one of the things we're committed to at Harvest is preaching in a way that is practical and leads to transformation. And if you come to church and you're not convicted or challenged or given practical things that you can implement into your life, then we're not doing our job and we're all wasting each other's time. Well, the reason I'm so pumped about this message or this sermon series is it doesn't get more practical than what we're going to go through right now. So let's start with blessing. Look at Psalm 1. Follow along as I read. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Here's what it says. It says this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, so look at that very first line in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. And one of the things I need you to see, church, this is for everyone. I I love that. It's just blessed is the man or blessed is the, the woman. There's no qualifiers on who can receive this blessing. It doesn't say blessed are the super intelligent or the super smart. Blessed are the good looking. Blessed are the rich or the powerful or blessed is the celebrity. God's saying this blessing in your life, it is for everyone. And I don't know if you're like me, but so often I just feel like, man, I'm, I'm nothing, and I don't deserve God's time or attention, let alone blessing. And if you're like me, what God's saying to you is, no, no, no this is for everyone. Everyone can have this. The word blessing is most closely translated to supremely happy it's happy is the man joyful is the man a a, a joy and happiness god saying i want you to know this i want you to have it and i want you to have a joy that cannot be taken away so here's the big idea that's going to kind of set the trajectory this morning it's this it's that truly happy people live with deep and established roots That if you want blessing from God, if you want to be truly happy, it has everything to do with what are you rooting your life to? What are the things in your life that are ultimate? It's all about having deep and established roots. Look at verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And the first point we see right away is, is this, is that sin always places us on a scary trajectory. It talks about walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. And what biblical commentators say is what the psalmist is describing is a path or or a trajectory that sin places us on. And the first part of that path, it says that you're walking with the wicked, and um, just to be clear, when I think of the word wicked, I, I think of, like, robbers or, or thieves or, or Satan worshipers or Ohio State fans. Like, I think of really evil, wicked, awful people. Okay? This is not what Scripture is talking about. And A, a more precise translation might be, um, walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It's not that they're inherently evil. It's just this idea of living in a way where you don't give any consideration to God. You're just doing your own thing. What do I think is best? What do I think is right? How should I spend my time in relationships and and money? What do I want out of life? It's just living with the the flow of culture, right? There's a proverb that says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its path leads to death. It's just that, like I'm just doing what everyone else is doing. I'm going with the flow. I'm just living, not even just thinking about God but you're just moving with the stream. And then the next thing is, is now you're standing in the way of sinners. And this is a little bit more rooted down. And now there's things in your life that you know are unhealthy, that are displeasing to the Lord, that are an offense to God. And you're like, I don't care. I'm gonna keep doing these things. And in fact, I'm gonna surround myself with people that do the same thing. And we're going to celebrate our sin and encourage each other in it. And I know there's things in my life that are wrong, but I don't care. Can I just ask this rhetorical question? How many of us in this room today walk in here knowing that there's things in our life that are displeasing to the Lord? And yet day in, day out, week in, week out, you continue to pursue those things and you don't believe that that's having a lasting impact on your soul? And then the third is you move from standing with sinners to so now you're sitting with scoffers. And now you're more rooted. It's harder to get up and move the other direction. And scoffing is the idea of now you mock the things of the Lord. You hate God and want nothing to do with him and want nothing to do with people who would honor the Lord. And church, here's what I would tell you. In a dozen years of ministry, I've seen people walk down this path. I've seen people so on fire for the Lord get to a place where they want nothing to do with God and and hate him because they didn't deal with the sin in their life. And I don't have time to get into everything. I could preach a whole sermon on that one verse, but here's all I want you to know. What God's saying is, is there's a path that leads to death. Don't follow that way. There is not blessing for you down that road. If you want blessing, if you want happiness, don't go this way. But now God makes a contrast. Look at verse two says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in all he does, he prospers. And what happens in verse three is it's laid out to us very, very clearly. What is a life that is blessing? What does this blessing look like? And we see three things that blessing looks like. Here's the first, a life that is blessed is a life full of strength and spiritual health. Right. Look at verse three. It says, "He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season." This picture of a tree, which is the analogy the writer uses, it's something that's strong. It, it can't be moved. It's not going to be blown over by the wind. And this idea that it yields its fruit in its season, it, it just means that it's healthy. It accomplishes what it's supposed to do. When it's harvest time, it it, it yields fruit. It it can be dependable. It's trustworthy. It's reliable. It is strong and healthy. And church, what I need you to hear is, listen, blessing, biblical blessing is not a promise that life will always be easy. And even more importantly, it's not a promise that everyone's always going to like you. Do me a favor, turn to the person next to you and say, not everyone's going to like you. I love the anxious giggle at even having to verbalize that, right? Like how much inner turmoil would we spare ourselves if we actually believed that? In fact, do you know what? Do you know that Jesus promises this to us, that we're not always going to be liked? In John 15, 18 and 19, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus promises, like if, if you're upset that people don't always like you, he's like, look at me. If people don't always love me. And, and we're even teaching our kids now, especially my twin daughters, as they're entering into middle school and friendships and relationships are so important. It, it's like, listen, not everyone's going to like you and it's okay. In fact, the invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to be liked by everyone, but it's an invitation to be known and loved by God. And what a greater pursuit that is, amen? And so I'm trying to teach my girls, listen, if a friend's mean to you or if someone teases you, it's not the end of the world. It can't shake your foundation. Root yourself in the love of God. Second thing we see a life of blessing is so not only is it strong and spiritually healthy, but it thrives when the heat is turned up. It thrives when the heat is turned up. It says his leaf does not wither. And it's this idea that when it gets hot, it doesn't shrivel up and fade away. It doesn't die. When life gets hard, and church, again, look at me. Do you know the heat gets turned up on all of us, right? All of us will share seasons of suffering and pain and heartbreak and sorrow, but it says when, when, when you have a blessed life, it, it, it's not going to kill you or rob you of joy or wipe you out. And uh, one of the cool things about being a pastor is I get to see this play out on the ground floor all the time. Um, I know my dad mentioned this last week in his sermon, but we on Friday had the funeral of a man in our church named Les Toth. And Les was a just godly, sweet, old man who was one of the first people to even be a part of our church. And he had been sick for a very, very long time. And he's home with the Lord now. And I was uh, texting with his son, Jeff, the day his dad passed. And uh, Jeff serves on our worship team. He's been a a deacon, just a faithful, faithful man. And um, it was wild because I was texting him. you know, saying, I'm praying for you. I love you. I'm sorry. And what he responded to me was, he goes, Cal, he goes, I don't know how people get through this without the Lord. And he's like, there's such a peace and a joy and a hope, even though I've lost my best friend and even though my heart is broken, like his leaf was not withering. There was a joy and hope that their family had that can only be of the Lord. I know I've shared this a couple times, but this year has been really, really hard for me personally because um, I have a cousin who lives in Orlando who's about six years younger than me. He's in his late 20s, and um, His uh, wife, he's a pastor just like I am, um, so we have a lot in common. And uh, his wife got diagnosed earlier this year with a terminal illness. And he's had to watch his his wife physically um, have this disease just consume her body. And I tell you what, I was texting with him this last week, and here's what you see in my cousin, an unshakable hope in Jesus Christ. God is good, he is worthy of our praise, he's present, he's answering our prayer, our hope is in Jesus. It's like, man, his leaf is not withering, even though the temperature is turned up to to a level that's like, man, I don't know how he could get through that, but his leaf does not wither. It's real blessing. Then here's the third thing blessing looks like, it's lasting fruitfulness. It says, in everything he does, he prospers. And this word prosper, what it means is to push forward or to continue to move. It's a lasting endurance, faithful to the end, not going to check out, not going to flame out, not going to waver, but in all that he pursues, there's going to be a moving forward. You're going to see the impact of God on this person's life. They don't ride the roller coasters where one day everything's perfect and the next day I'm despondent and I don't know where God is. There's a steadiness. There's a depth to his walk. And in Psalm 1, God's saying, do you want these things? Do you want health and strength and steadiness and to thrive regardless of what season of life you are in? These are available to you. You can have them. They're all yours. And um, I don't know if you're like me, but when you see this picture in Psalm 1 of this tree, it's like, I want to be that tree. And we can focus on the tree and the type of fruit it produces. And it's like, how do I become that? And here's where I'm not like that. And I need to grow in these things. Well, church, there's a big secret to this psalm. And this is something we have to get. Here's the big secret. It's not about the tree. It's not about the tree. And if we look at this passage and just focus on all that the tree is, we're missing the entire point. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about the tree. Okay, here's what it's about. It's about where the tree is planted. Look again at verse 3. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. The reason the tree is strong, the reason the tree is healthy, the reason the tree produces fruit, it's not about the tree itself. Trees don't become strong based on their own strength. It has everything to do with where are they rooted and where are they planted? And this tree has planted itself by an eternal, never-ending source of life and vitality and strength, which allows the tree to grow strong. It's not about the tree. It's about where the tree has set down its roots. So the question is, is what do we have to root ourselves to? If we're going to have this blessing of God in our life, well, we see it right in verse two. And verse two is the key to this entire psalm. Here's what it says. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Okay, here's the field notes. Go to the next slide for me, please, as clearly as I can say it. This is what verse 2 says. It says, you will find blessing when you love and root your life to the word of God. He's saying that's the key. That is the stream. That is what will produce all of the blessings that you want from the Lord if you love and root yourself to God's word. He goes, it's right there. Love it, delight in it, meditate on it. This is the key. This is the field notes. In church, it makes sense, right? Like the greatest commandment that God gives us is that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, here's the question. How do we love God? Well, we can't love him if we don't know him, right? How do we know God? Well, we know him through his word. This is the blessing, church, we're looking for right here. But look at me. We neglect it, don't we? Like if we were honest, for most of us, the vast majority in this room, God's word is nowhere near to a, to a priority in our life. I was listening to a message this week from John Piper And um, most of you probably are familiar with that name, John Piper, um, he was pastored for like 40 years or so at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And and I would say if there was a Mount Rushmore of faithful biblical preachers in America in the last 50 years, John Piper's face is probably on there twice. Like he's that good and and he's that known for just his faithful biblical teaching. And and he was preaching on Psalm one and he told his church, he goes, about 10 years ago, I did a survey for my church. And one of the questions was, Is how much time do you guys spend in God's word on a daily basis? And he goes, when I got the answers back, I was so depressed and so despondent. He goes, it's the closest I've ever been in ministry to quitting. And he goes, I told my staff, never do this survey again. I can't take the answers. It's too hard for me to hear. Church, would we do any better? I'm consistently blown away by how biblically illiterate most American Christians are. We don't know the God we claim to love and worship. And if you were to ask our pastors, every week we deal with situations in people's lives where they're just living ignorant to God and do his word and doing whatever they want, doing whatever they think is right, and, and claiming that under the banner of Christianity when it looks nothing like the God we worship. And then we wonder why our lives aren't filled with blessing, why our lives are chaotic, why God feels so far away. It's that we don't know the God that we claim to love and worship. So what I want to do right now is spend the rest of our time making the argument why God's word is the stream of life that will lead to blessing. I want to argue why this psalm is right. So look at verse 4. There's another contrast here. He goes back to the wicked. He says, The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, here's what he's saying. Third thing we see from this text is that other streams will always run dry. He, he's saying the righteous, they're like a tree that is unmoved, that yields fruit, but the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind drive away. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with what chaff is, so I have a picture of it in the next slide. Um, what chaff is, it was just the kernel around a seed of grain. And it was super light, it wasn't rooted to anything. So when harvest would happen, the way they would separate the wheat, which was valuable from the chaff, they just throw it all up in the air and, and the wind would drive away the chaff because it was so light and not rooted to anything. And he's like, this is what the ungodly are like. They haven't rooted their life to anything. So when the wind comes, when the heat gets turned up, they're just driven away and they fade. There is one everlasting, never-changing, transcendent reality in this universe, and that is our God. Nothing else will last. Nothing else has stood the test of time. Nothing else brings blessing and security. And by the way, we try to root ourselves to other things all the time, right? I would say the popular one right now in our culture is this idea of, I've just got to be true to myself. How many of you have heard that phrase? Super popular, right? Like I'm just going to, and that's, that's a rooting statement, right? My ultimate reality is going to be me. I just have to be true to myself and whatever I feel, I've got to be true to that. Do you, got, do you know how terrifying that is for everything in your life? If the only thing that you have to root yourself to is you, then every relationship, every job, every place you le- live, there's no security in any of it because you can change your mind at will. Like we don't even know what we're going to have for lunch this afternoon, And we want to build our lives on how we feel at any given moment. There's no security in any relationship if the only thing you're beholden to is yourself. Like how does a marriage work if both sides are ultimately just being true to themselves? Whenever it gets hard, whenever there's challenges, whenever emotions change, the whole relationship is at risk. There's no security there. Another thing we try to root ourselves to is being a good moral person. Well, I'm just going to be good, and, and I'm going to be moral, and that's enough, and I'm going to be a benefit to society. Well, here's the problem with that, church. Morality changes. It's a moving target. Like here's an example. 25 years ago, it, it was out of the realm of possibility that gambling could be legalized across our country. Right? Gambling was reserved for Las Vegas, Sin City, right? Right? Or Or sketchy people who kind of lived on the outskirts of society. Now you can't watch a sports game without 50 advertisements encouraging you to gamble. Why? Because our government realized there's a lot of tax dollars to be made if we legalize gambling. Morality shifted because there was a financial benefit. Right? I don't have to tell you that the morality of 40 or 50 years ago looks almost 180 degrees different than it does today. In some ways, it's better today, in a lot of ways it's worse, but it changes there's no security in that and ultimately you're just again putting your hope in yourself well i'm going to root myself to my one true love to someone else and i'm going to put all of my hopes and dreams and security on another person well here's the problem like life is fragile You're a car accident away from losing everything. And by the way, I've said this before, that I love Mary more than anyone in this world, but she wasn't designed to carry the weight of my worship. And if I put all of my worth into how she thinks about me at any given moment, I'm actually just gonna crush her and drive her away because she wasn't built to hold my worship. You'll destroy the very things you love most. Well, I'm gonna put it in financial security and my job and wealth. Well, here's the thing, markets crash, don't they? We're learning this, prices soar, jobs make cuts. People in a room completely disconnected from you can make a decision that can take your job away. It can change, right? Well, I'm gonna put it in politics and in America. And listen, these are good things. Politics isn't a bad thing, but here's the problem with politics. Every two years, the game changes. You can be winning and happy and have the people you want in power, and then the midterms come and then they lose all the power, and now you're despondent and you're devastated. This is why people lose their mind around elections because they're following a God and they're worshiping something that can't bring them security. It doesn't look like fruit yielding itself in its season, does it? Not a bad thing, but not an ultimate thing. Look at verse six. I love this. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. I heard a pastor say it this way. It says that God is the author of reality. He is the most real thing in the history of the universe. So every moment we spend knowing God, loving God, rooting ourselves to his word, we are pursuing the most real thing and the one thing that will last forever. There's one name that is above every other name. It's the name of Jesus Christ. There's one thing that lasts, root yourself to him. Okay, so now we need to ask the question, what does it look like to root ourselves to God's word? What is biblical meditation? Well, I think we see three things. Um, Biblical meditation is first, filling your mind with the right things. It's filling your mind with the right things. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates on it day and night. And it's interesting when we think of the word meditation, we think of meditation from Eastern religions and you probably think of someone sitting cross-legged, closing their eyes, going like this. And the whole goal is to clear your mind, right? Remove distraction, clear your mind. Don't think of anything, just focus on nothing. Well, biblical meditation is actually the complete opposite. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with the right things, or another way to say it, it's talking to yourself about the right things, right? Like I've said this before, that no one talks to yourself more than you, right? Right? You talk to yourself all the time. This entire time I've been preaching, you've been talking to yourself. Stop it. It's my turn, right? (laughs) We can't turn our own voice off. Okay, so, so what biblical meditation is, is it's talking about the right things. It's knowing God's word. And, and by the way, I hope this happens today as we leave here. We've opened God's word. We've read it. And I hope that as you go this afternoon, you start asking yourself, man, what am I rooted to? Do I delight in God's word? Do I look like someone who has the blessing of God in their life? Or does my life more reflect someone who's ungodly? Like we talk to ourselves about this. We wrestle with these things. And then here's the big one. Meditating on God's word is building a successful filter. And this is how rooting yourself to God's word leads to success. If you take notes, um, underline this one. This is the key point. When you fill yourself with God's word, you build a godly filter by which you process life in a way that leads to success and blessing. So let me play this out very, very practically again for you. So when I think of my marriage, and how I'm supposed to treat my wife. And it's like, all right, how, how do I love my wife practically today? Well, guess what? I've got a filter that kicks in and here's what it says. It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So so now because I know God's word and it's a filter in my mind, I'm like, all right, I know how to love Mary. I've got to sacrifice myself for her. I've got to put her needs above my own. And just like Jesus came and he loved us by becoming a servant and doing for us what, what, what we could not do for ourselves. I, I need to show Jesus to Mary by how I love her. So when I come home, it's like, hey, babe, how can I serve you? What would make your life easier? Do you want me to take the kids? Can I run errands for you? And this idea of me leading my wife, it's not me being the boss or me having the final say. It's me loving my wife sacrificially like Christ has so graciously loved us. I have a filter which will lead to blessing in my marriage. Right again, last weekend I was at Petoskey and my son's team, they made it all the way to the semifinals and they lost a heartbreaker. And my son played his heart out. He did his best. And it was super heartbreaking because the last five minutes, my son knew that he was, their team was going to lose. So he's out on the field and he's playing and I can see just tears are running down his face. Just crying. And it's like, all right, my, my son's heart's broken. How do I parent in this moment? Well, the filter kicks in and it says, parents bring up your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. So guess what I did? I sat with Bo, gave him a hug after the game, and on the drive back, which is like five hours or whatever from Petoskey. Petoskey is far away, just FYI. Um, I I told Bo, I said, hey, Bo, I'm so proud of you. You played great, but here's what I want you to learn. This is why sports make a bad God. Because you lose, and it rips your heart out. And And you can play hard, and you can love sports, and I love that you love it, but don't make it an idol. You know what doesn't let you down? You know what doesn't fail you? You know what doesn't leave you feeling like this? Jesus doesn't. And I used it as an opportunity to shepherd my son's heart because the filter kicked in, right? When I wake up in the morning and it's 3.30 and I'm anxious and I'm freaking out because I have a tough meeting that next day, guess what clicks into my mind? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I'm laying there, okay, I don't have to freak out. I can trust God. I don't need to be anxious. He's with me. He's my good shepherd. He's going to lead me through it. Anger. I had a uh, really, really hard phone call I had to have with a friend on Friday. And um, there was an issue between us. I wanted to resolve it. I just felt a check in my spirit that things weren't right. And um, I I knew I was gonna have to make a tough phone call. And and all of a sudden in my mind, what clicks is the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I'm like, before I make this phone call, I've got to be committed into my heart. I'm not gonna come in guns blazing and angry. It's not gonna lead anywhere well. So I prayed about it and took my time and, and went into it with an attitude, I'm gonna honor the Lord even in this difficult conversation. And the conversation went amazing. It was really, really a blessing. But, but it's because the filter clicked in, right? When I'm sad, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit and he will wipe away every tear we've ever cried. When um, it's work, Right, work hard is unto the Lord. See, what happens is, is when we meditate on God's word, it develops a filter in our mind so we don't have to wonder what we're supposed to do. And it leads to a life of blessing and success. It turns us into that tree that we desire to be. Okay, but here's the third thing. Um, It's not a checklist. It's not a checklist. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And we have to approach God's word with the right motives. And way too often I see Christians, when we think of reading the Bible, we think of it as a chore or as homework or as a checklist, something we have to do. And I don't understand that church because here's why. Like imagine if I went to Mary and I was like, hey, um, I know I'm supposed to love you. And I know I'm supposed to compliment you as your husband. So what I've done is I've set an alarm in my phone. And every day at nine o'clock, it's going to go off and I'm going to compliment you and I'm gonna tell you I think you're beautiful and that I love you, and and then I'm good for the next day. Then when the alarm goes off, I'm gonna do it again. How would that go for me? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Not exactly crushing it with the romanticism there, right? And yet we approach God like this all the time too, right? Well, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, so I guess I will, but I don't really want to. There's a bunch of other things I'd rather be doing that are way less valuable. You see, the problem is, church, and here's what I believe, ultimately we don't trust God. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do we believe that? Do we trust God in that? John 8, this is what Jesus says. He said, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's like, if you hold on to my word, you're going to live a life of freedom and blessing and joy in church. Here's what I would ask. If you're on the fence, like, is this a good idea or is this something that I should pursue? What has Jesus done to make you not want to trust him? Has there ever been anyone else who has loved you more faithfully, more, more passionately, who has given himself more for you than Jesus Christ? God came to earth and suffered and died for the penalty that we deserve for our sin. That's how much he loves you. And he says, I love you so much. I didn't just want to die for your sins for after this life. I want to give you a life that is full of blessing and joy and vibrancy. Here's how it is. I've told you exactly what to do. What else could he possibly do to earn your trust, church? Can I I ask you that? And I ask you that because I love you. So here's the question I wanna close with, it's this. It's very, very simple. What are you rooted to? What are you rooted to? Um, In the 90s, a a really, really popular movie came out. The movie was called um, Indecent Proposal. Some of you may have seen it, and I won't make you raise your hand if you have. It had uh, Robert Redford in it, it had Demi Moore, it had Woody Harrelson, and the plot was really, really ingenious. You you see the plot of Indecent Proposal is is Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson, their characters, they're a young married couple who are happy, they love each other, they're in a thriving marriage relationship. And Robert Redford, he's an older man and he's very, very wealthy and well off and he approaches the couple and he says, I think your wife is beautiful. And he says, I'll give you a million dollars if you let me have one night with your wife. And here's what that movie was ultimately getting at, which is why I think it struck such a chord with the American public. It's asking the question, what's ultimate in your life? What ultimately are you rooted to? And for that movie, the question was, is is there a price on your marriage and the faithfulness and the fidelity of your marriage? Is there a price? Well, what Psalm 1 is asking us is saying, what are you ultimately rooted to? See, here's the thing, roots limit you. You can't be whatever you want, do whatever you want, go wherever you want. There's certain things it's like, no, I stand on this and I'm rooted to this and I will not move. And here's what Psalm 1 is saying. It's so much better to be rooted to the stream that will give life and blessing than the freedom to chase everything that's going to leave you wanting. What is ultimate in your life? What are you rooted to? And again, this series is all about getting after the practical. So I wanna close with three practical steps to pursuing God's word and pursuing deep roots. Here's the first, Um, when you get into God's word, take smaller chunks more often. I don't know if a pastor, if I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this. Um, One of the things that I am so, so out on are like the reading plan where it's like read the Bible in 90 days. I don't even really love reading the Bible in a year. Here's why, because it becomes more about what we've done than what God has accomplished through us. I think that's a danger. But the other thing is, is when you're reading 40 chapters a day, you're remembering nothing. It's too much. So here would be my encouragement. Take one chapter in the gospel and read it when you have coffee in the morning and read it when you have coffee at lunch. And if you're like me, read it when you have coffee in the afternoon at at two when you're still tired somehow, right? Um, Read one Psalm and read it over and over again because then your mind's gonna settle on it and you're gonna think about it and and things are gonna pop up where it's like, oh, I see what this means for me. Smaller chunks more often. Here's the other one, involve others. Uh, One of the things we did in our small group this year, we used the app, He Reads Truth and She Reads Truth and the girls had their own plan and the guys had their own and it was just small devotionals that we would do. But the cool thing was is after you did it, you could check off that you completed the day. And then on Friday, all of the guys in our small group, we would send a screenshot that all of them were checked off and completed. And we held each other accountable and we did it together. And the cool thing was, is it led to a lot of really cool conversations. Involve the family of God, you're not an island. You don't have to figure this out by yourself. And then here's the third, incorporate prayer. Trust and believe that God's spirit moves when his word is opened. So before you read, just ask a quick prayer. Hey God, would you show me what you'd want me to see today? whether that's about you and how I can follow you or worship you, whether that's about me and things I need to repent of. God, would you just speak to my heart through your word? And I promise you, if you're faithful to do these things, you're going to see real, tangible blessing. You know why? Because God is unchanging and he does not lie. The question is, is will we trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, this morning. I thank you for uh, your word. i thankful that it's so simple and practical and yet so convicting and challenging. And God, forgive us um, for prioritizing so many meaningless things above the thing that gives life. Would we be a church that is planted by streams of water? God, I confess that my words have no power to change anyone, but your spirit has the power to allow us to delight in you and in your word. So even as we sing about a firm foundation that's only found in you, would you move our hearts right now? We love you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.